Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to episode 92 of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we have Scott Kingsbury and Matt Baxendell of Minuteman Tickets. And you'll find out more about what makes Minuteman Tickets different from all the other brokers on this show. But with the NCAA basketball tournament coming up, I want to let you all know that Minuteman Tickets does their own Minuteman Madness Bracket Challenge, which is free to enter and has tons of great prizes. Uh, that'll be linked up in the show notes if you guys want to go check it out. Before we get to that interview, though, I want to ask you all for a quick favor. If you haven't already, pick up your phone and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. It really helps support our show, and it'll make sure you never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. We also want to take a moment to thank some of our supporters. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at GoFMX.com. Mike here again. Do you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus? We are looking for some new supporters to help keep the show going in 2018. To inquire about how you can help support the podcast, please send an email to Mike at ConqueringColumbus.com. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo. A desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Uh, today on the show, we're lucky enough to have Scott Kingsbury and Matt Baxendale. And Scott and Matt are the co-founders of Minuteman Tickets, an online ticket brokerage based here in Columbus with the goal of simplifying the process of buying tickets online to protect the consumer. That means no hidden fees, no shady deals, and no more getting turned away at the gate with fake tickets. Uh, they've run over $2.5 million in sales in four short years and we're really excited to have them both here on the show today. Scott and Matt, welcome to Conquering Columbus. Hello, hello. Thank you. Hey, we're really excited to have you here today. So so what's a typical day look like for both of you right now? I mean, you do a lot of traveling, right? Yes. Yes and no, I guess. Uh, it depends on the day of the week because every day for us is kind of different. A lot of days we're going to be sitting there focusing on getting tickets in our inventory. Um, and a lot of times we'll show up in the office and we'll have a whole group of people on headsets talking with us. and. The night before, we'll have already talked about what we're buying, all this kind of different stuff there. So you know, you're going to have a day where 
our, our, our day hits the ground at 65 miles an hour and doesn't slow down until the afternoon, if then. And then a lot of the times, you know, he moves around a lot more than I do during the day. I yeah, kind of keep an eye inside. When you talk about travel, that's a lot of the type, type of stuff that I do. And it may not even be travel as much as just hitting different events throughout Ohio or even, uh, even you know, a little bit farther out, maybe three hours out. We, I tend to hit some events with some, with some customers, meeting people. I love to meet different customers and all that. Before we get too granular to what you guys got going on today, maybe we'll take a step back and just talk about kind of the path that brought you guys here. Maybe um, each one take a stab at telling us a little bit of your background, childhood, where you grew up, and how you ended up in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, so I grew up in western Massachusetts. I uh, was public schooled uh, the whole way through. And this is Scott, by the way, for you guys listening. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know, grew up in western Mass, um, public high school, went to college at Ashland University. I loved sports growing up. Uh, I remember my first experience buying tickets was uh, buying New England Patriots tickets, just dialing 1-800-TICKETMASTER uh, with me and my dad. My dad would call from his work, I'd call from the house, and it was like whatever pairs of tickets you could get, and this is before the Patriots were even very good, this is back in the 90s, and they were still really hard tickets to get, and that was probably my first experience buying tickets, but I was doing that as a kid, and then went to college at Ashland, and here we are, about would 10 you, years after college. What did you study at Ashland? I was a sports communication major, sports administration minor. Okay, so always been drawn to sports your whole life. Thank you. I've been a big passion. sports guy. I went to I went to Ashland. It was the only college in the nation that offered sports communication as a major. I was thinking ESPN. I got into the media stuff. God bless you guys. Uh, I got away from the media stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Matt, what about you? You're also from Massachusetts, correct? Sort of. That's a so, long story. Okay. I was born in Pittsburgh, actually. Okay. And then I lived in Wheeling, West Virginia, of all places, for mm -hmm. 10 years. And then my dad's job took us to Germany and then Texas before I ended up in Massachusetts as a freshman in high school. In fact, he calls me Tex for that reason. I lived there for a year. I, I'm not Texan at all. So, so military? No. My dad worked for a chemical company okay. overseas, a company called Bayer. You know, mm -hmm. Alka-Seltzer, all that yeah, other all those, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they're a giant polychemical company. So I actually lived in Germany for two and a half years. I speak the language fluently. Huh? So, but that's how I got dumped in Massachusetts. I actually met him in high school out in Western Mass. And then the two of us were literally the only two people from Western Massachusetts to come to Ohio for college. <laughs> so, and you, you both went to Ashland then? No, I went to Ohio State. Ohio State, okay. Yeah, I was a civil engineering major at Ohio State. Okay. So I graduated after five years. I took my redshirt senior year. It was a good year. So yeah, <laughs> and what did your dad do at, at Bayer exactly? Was he in the engineering field? He was too? a chemical engineer who got his MBA, um, and then he moved into when we moved to Massachusetts. He actually ran a company that was a subsidiary of Bayer called Deerfield Urethane. It was like 60, 70 people worked for it. Um, you know, he, he was heavily involved in their plastics production and everything, and then moved into the executive side of Bayer after that. Okay, so. and Scott, what did, what did your family do? I mean, and, and then after that, follow up question for both of you is: you guys have any siblings? What are they doing? Yeah, yeah, both my parents worked in factories, but uh, my dad's always been entrepreneurial. He owns uh, Kingsbury Farms, which uh, is a Christmas tree and maple sugaring operation. He's been out tapping trees, getting sap. He, I was talking to him last night, he said 250 gallons of sap and boiling up a bunch of maple syrup here, maple syrup in Massachusetts. Um, but they were both uh, really factory workers full time, and then the, the farming was a side gig. Um, I've got a younger brother, he's a partial owner in a solar company in Massachusetts. Uh, I mean, he could talk circles around me about that stuff. I have no <laughs> idea what he's talking about half the time, but uh, that seems to be working out for them up there, so. Sun hits the solar panel. That's about all the further you get, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you get paid instead of you paying the electric company. Yeah, well, that helps, too. Free electric's a good thing. Yeah. But, and then uh, I'm uh, on the other side of things, I guess. You know, his talks about his parents being entrepreneurial. You know, my dad was a corporate guy for his whole life. Um, you know, from nine months after I was born until the day my dad died, he worked for Bayer. 
He never went off on his own or did anything like that. Um, you know, my mom was a, she was a physical therapist, and then whenever my younger sisters were born, she ended up staying at home with us. I have two younger sisters. One of them is uh, an accountant for KPMG in Pittsburgh, and the other one, um, she's through her traveling hippie days now. She used to own a bus that ran on, um, not quite water, but some sort of oil mix. I don't know, I, vegetable oil. I don't, Right. I convinced her to sell it because she was freezing in it. Um, so she, she works. Yeah, eco diesel. That might have been it. Yeah. Except she never had any eco diesel fuel. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a really cold bus in the middle of winter in Pittsburgh. But uh, she actually works for the city of Pittsburgh now, working on their public uh, park parklands and everything. So she's she's definitely doing much much better than she was living in the bus. <laughs> yeah. So you made it here to Columbus. You're in Ashland. How do you guys come back together? And then how does that story evolve when you graduate college? <laughs> Let's see. You're two grades ahead of me, right? Yeah, a couple of years. So well, he came out to Ashland while I was still in high school, and I came out to OSU because you know, my family's originally Midwesterners, so I kind of wanted to come back to this part of the country. And plus, club hockey was great for me. I stepped right on the hockey team. But um, he first time I saw him in Ohio was right after the 02 Ohio State-Michigan game. I lived in Lincoln Tower, which is right next to the stadium, and Scotty was going to come down and hang out with us. And he finds me walking up the ramp to Lincoln Tower, coughing, covered in tear gas from them, trying to tear gas everybody, trying to tear down the goalposts after we beat Michigan. Yeah. So you know, he came down for all the Michigan games, and I went up to Ashton for a few things. And we stayed in touch. Was it AOL Instant Messenger back in the day? Yeah, oh, Instant Messenger, oh, baby. Yeah. That's how old we are. We're dating ourselves. So if you're younger than us <laughs> and saying, oh, what the heck is that? It was a thing, okay? Yeah, and you, you had to guess who the username was. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was always, who is this? I don't believe you. you right. know? Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. But uh, all right. So we're sidetracked on AIM. So let's let's get back on track. So you guys met there, and then after college, what what did you guys both end up doing? I went back to New England. Actually, my grandparents' house. Uh, they had a pretty big fire, and so I was back there helping out with some stuff with the grandparents for a couple of years. Uh, worked at my dad's factory. I was just slinging steel, and then uh, came back to Ohio. You know, everything kind of got settled up there, so I came back out to Ohio. I, I went back to Ashland. Uh, I was in a fraternity there. I lived with a fraternity brother, um, you know, just uh, kind of learning, learning the world, right? Growing up a little bit. We weren't drinking as much as we used to. And uh, from there, about three years later, had an old buddy from college uh, say, hey, man, I need a roommate down in Columbus. I thought there was probably way more growth opportunity down here. Um, so I moved down here, and, and uh, a couple of years later, you were down in Georgia and moved back up. Yep. Uh, I'd say it. While he was running around up in New England and stuff, uh, I graduated from OSU and I moved to Atlanta. I, I got a degree in civil engineering, right? Mm -hmm. Which is totally the least entrepreneurial thing you can do, being a civil engineer. Here's a road the government's paying for. Here's its design, right? Right. But my plan was to go down there for five years and get my PE license and come back to Ohio, right? And so I was down there for five years, got married, had a kid, moved back up here and everything. and then. Um, about a year or so after I moved back up here, I just had my second child actually. You know, we just got together watching hockey or you know, football or whatever. Bruins beat the Penguins in the Eastern Conference Finals. I wasn't salty at all about that. Um, sorry, Blue Jacket fans, but I'm the Penguins fan of the side. He was the Bruins side. And then he had some Blue Jackets tickets and he's like, I'm gonna buy these, look, they're doing great. I'm like, yeah, that's not gonna make you any money. Then he's like, holy crap, it's selling for a lot of money. And I went, can we make some money doing that? Right. <laughs> thus began the foundation of where our company came from. Mm -hmm. We were just yeah. both sports guys who were like, maybe we can make a little money going, getting some sports tickets, you know, because we always went to the games. Right. You know, yeah. he yeah. talked about calling the Patriots hotline number. In college, I signed up to be on the waiting list for a bunch of NFL teams because um, I, I specifically the Browns and the Bengals because I wanted to try to pay for my Steelers tickets 
with all the other games. That was my strategy. Right. It clearly didn't work because you're on a waiting list and you're out of college and doesn't. Yeah. You're still waiting. Yep. But you know that was kind of the genesis that I had of this, and I never even thought about it at the time as like a business thing. And here we are, four mm-hmm. and a half years later, with the company that pretty much absorbs all of our professional attention. Yeah. So so how do you? I mean, let's get really granular and talk about like there's the idea, right? And and I think Josh and I have talked about this before, but. I think oftentimes in entrepreneurial stories, people skip past the, the hardest part of the story, which is going from idea to, hey, we have a business. So can you get a little granular, like how did you guys go about really turning that idea into a business from you know, maybe hiring, you know, spreading out your first space, hiring your first employee, uh, and talk really, really in depth there? Yes, yeah, so this really started, um, you know, obviously we had the conversation, hey, mm-hmm. we want to get this thing started. Um, you know, I had to make the decision because I was already buying the tickets myself to you know, and Matt said, hey, man, we could maybe make money with this together. You know, can I get in on the game? And I said, sure, why not, you know? And so after, you know, he got on board, but he was still a full-time engineer. I was still in sales, right? Um, I was doing really well in sales, but I wasn't totally satisfied with where I was at. Um, so basically, I left the sales position, um, started the ticket company. He's on. He's working about 20 hours a week as you were a full-time mm-hmm. engineer. Yeah, at night. A lot of nights I would work like 8.30 to 1 in the morning or something, you know? Yeah. We kind of joked his, his schedule was 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. for the mm-hmm. ticket world. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would work full time, I mean 80, you know, 90 hours a week, just kind of getting this thing off the ground. And um, Did you wait till you could replace your salary before you left your job? Or did you, when you started gaining subtraction, you just took off right away? I'm, I'm actually, I've been involved with a direct sales company for about 12 years now. I've um, been very successful with that. And I had a little bit of money put in the bank from that. Um, and then I also had a bunch of money that was kind of in the bank already, and I'm not a guy that likes the what-ifs. So right. I had some money in the bank, and I said, I know I can live six months on what I've got in the bank, so I'm going to give it a run. I think some friends thought I was nuts. Um, he thought I was nuts buying the Blue Jackets tickets. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were nuts at the time, too. I said, we didn't try to find a way to pay you. And we didn't pay ourselves for the first, what, eight months, nine months at the company? Yeah, yeah. Like, we didn't pay ourselves a dime. I was like, dude, he was like, I had kids and a family and a mortgage, right? Mm-hmm. Scotty was living in an apartment and just had a job in him, right? So, you know, I was a little more tethered, but, you know, I'm sitting here like, how? We've got to pay you something. Nope, 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 nope. Got to beat the churn. That was the phrase right. he used. Beat the oh, churn. Oh, yeah, yeah. Beat the right. churn. Which is that three to, three to five years, you know? Yeah. Got to survive more than three years. Yeah. Well, and there's so. a billion people out there who think, oh, it's a great idea to buy tickets. We have friends who have done this, and we go, oh, no, please don't tell me you just did that. And anybody yeah. listening who thinks you can just buy anything, don't. don't do it. Don't do it. Please don't. People think they can. They oh, I got I got a credit card has a five thousand dollar limit on. It. I'm gonna go buy tickets and I'm gonna sell them and I'm gonna make a ton of money. There, there's so much thought that goes into what to buy mm-hmm. because you can go out and you can go. Oh, I love Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars is huge, right? But if you buy the seven hundred dollar Bruno Mars ticket that's in row four and you think they're great seats, you're not gonna make any money on that, right? Right. There's what to buy that yep. goes into this, and so you know we kept. We, our company initially investment started with $2,000 total. Mm-hmm. Not each, total. Yeah, yeah. total. Mm, you know, that was November of 2013, and now last year we did almost $2.5 in sales. We're tracking ahead of that the first month and a half this year. Please hold. Yeah. Oh, gosh, way ahead of that. <laughs> way yeah. Ahead. Yeah. So, so what I'm curious about is the logistics behind the whole thing. So, I mean, when you're buying that many tickets, it's like, it, it, it seems like, oh, yeah, that would be really easy if I was selling one or two, but... But when you're buying hundreds, thousands of tickets, mm-hmm. the logistics behind that have got to be pretty tough, especially if you're selling them in packs of one or two to, to consumers. So 
Kind of what does the logistical back end of that look like? It's a nightmare if yeah. you don't have the right stuff. Um, <laughs> and here's another thing too. It's not just the holding of the inventory because on our company, I kind of manage the inventory. That's sort mm -hmm. of my role. Yeah. One of them. I mean, being owners, you have about 70 roles, but that's one of my biggest roles, if you will, right? And but it's not just buying the tickets. A lot of brokers use stuff that you always hear, beat the bots. Like, we don't do that. We don't have a bot. We don't have a automatic purchasing programs. We're against them in, on principle, right? So we have people who are friends or family or employees that we essentially have working for us, helping us buy tickets. So we have to first marshal all these people with the assignment of events we've come up with, with all the different accounts that we've come up with, the credit cards we use, right? Because everything you, you can't show up with a wad of cash at the Schottenstein Center and ask for tickets, you know? Very rarely do they have those there anymore, especially for hot events. If you wanted to get Elton John tickets the day they went on sale, good luck. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a hard thing to do. And then we have what we call as our point of sale. We keep all of our tickets in it. That's our inventory. Most of these are e-tickets these days. Mm -hmm. Mobile tickets, flash sheets has become really common. There's a lot of more paperless options, right? But we have our main inventory list, if you will, and it's a dynamic thing. But if it, that's your brain, it broadcasts out to your fingertips being every marketplace. You know, StubHub, Vivid, all those other things. We reach out to those. We sell on those sites too, right? But we also, you know, anytime something, let's say we have a sale locally here. Let's say somebody calls us up and says, hey, we want to go to see Elton John at the Schottenstein Center. All right, cool. Put them on hold. It pulls it off every website within 20 seconds. So yeah. essentially prevents our tickets from selling in multiple places, right? Right. But then you have to track the PDFs. You have to, we have all kinds yeah. of back-end software a lot of, that we have. A lot have. of automated software. Uh -huh. there, there's literally companies out there that, I mean, they... They just support the ticketing industry, and mm -hmm. that's some of the things. You know, there's a there's a, an annual conference out in Las Vegas that we go to every year. I think a lot of brokerages don't go out there, but we go out there because it keeps us on top of the techno technological end of things. It keeps us talking to other brokers. What kind of solutions are you guys finding, right? Mm -hmm. Like when we're talking to them, and uh, I think it it helps us gain an advantage. Yeah. And honestly, there's other brokers out there that laugh about it, and and there's a lot of socializing that happens and that type of thing, but. Um, you know, during the day, we're, we're doing work. We're talking to different companies that provide us some of these automated solutions um, to, to the thousand tickets that you talked about. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you a thousand is a very small number. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And obviously you guys make your money off like the arbitrage between there. So how are you buying at retail when they first come out? And then, you know, what are your typical margins at on these tickets? Does it just range across the board on different yeah. events? Or? Yeah. You know, it just depends on what you're buying, you know. Um, how are we buying? We buy them just like the general fan does. Um, we take advantage of every pre-sale we can get our hands on. Um, every, you know, obviously the on-sale we're on just like you guys are. And we're just, guess what? We buy tickets every single day. We're going to be just a little bit quicker going through the process because you're going to see a button. You're going to be like, what, where should I hit? Guess what? I've hit that button every single day, four, five, six, seven hours, you know, seven hour time sets a day. We're just going to be that much quicker. And honestly, a quarter second, a half second, one second matters when you're buying tickets. Yep. And so it's not that we're doing things differently than the normal fan does. It's that we're just more practiced at it. Um, just as if you're an athlete, you know, you practice to be good, you know, on game day, right? right. And the same, same, same style. We're just, we're just a little bit quicker, a little bit better at buying tickets. I actually tell, I say, Matt types about twice as quick as I do. It's, yeah. it's really, it's a joke. <laughs> But one of his one of his real strengths is is the speed that he goes through things, and he really just he's a lot quicker than most of us in the office. Yeah, but he's machine like when he's doing it, so you know balances <laughs> out. And by the way, everybody who works for us, our accounting intern buys tickets whenever it's time to buy tickets. Right. Our, our marketing interns buy tickets. Yeah. Right. Yeah. My wife buys tickets. Right. 
then brags about it when she outpulls one of us. But right. you know. So that answers some of the question too of how do you do it? Yeah, well, just yeah. like we had talked a couple minutes ago, it's it's a multitude of people doing it the same way you guys do it. Right, right. That makes sense. And I'm guessing the the multitude of people. I mean, instead of buying a lot in bulk, I'm guessing that you know it's probably there's probably pushback from the suppliers if they if they know that a broker is buying the tickets. Yeah, yeah. There, you know, a lot of some of them are happy to work with brokers. Right. Others aren't. It just depends on. on and you've seen some sketchy yep. stuff happen. Oh yeah, one, yeah. One, Live Nation and Ticketmaster love brokers secretly because they like to blame us for everything. Mm -hmm. When in reality, they're the ones who are pulling a lot of the sketchy stuff. Uh, we've talked about Taylor Swift to virtually everybody that we know. They had this program was called Verified Fan, and I'm doing the Doctor Evil fingers in case you can, if this isn't on video. So mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a joke. These pe you had people who signed up for months for Taylor Swift, bought her albums repeatedly to try to get an extra boost to put themselves higher in the queue. They watched YouTube videos repeatedly to try to get themselves to have a better op opportunity to buy tickets, right? All this crazy stuff. Um, and by the way, those albums that those fans bought to boost themselves counted towards her first day out, first week album sales. So she can claim she had a number one CD when a vast majority of it was fans trying to buy codes. And in the end, a lot of those guys didn't get codes. And some of the ones who did, the first round of shows she announced, like let's say she had a show in Boston, right? Those tickets would have been $250 a ticket. The next round of shows, they're $170 a ticket. So her serious, most interested fans, when she added shows, ended up paying more mm -hmm. and going through more hassle. And by the way, when those tickets went on sale the day of the general public, when the average fan had the opportunity to get them, tickets that were $80 were magically all of a sudden $130. Bucks. Well, we, we had tickets for one of those shows. We pulled the same seats three different times, and every time the price went up, mm -hmm. dynamically speaking. But they were trying to blame the brokers for that. Right. That was them messing with prices and essentially messing with the most hardcore fans of Taylor Swift and making them pay way more than everybody else. It's, it's, it just it was so sketchy. And it's mm -hmm. one of those things like you want yeah. to blame brokers for pricing. Pricing is based upon a market and demand, right? Supply and demand. That's basic law of supply and demand. We don't buy tickets for 50 bucks and sell them, sell them for $1,000 because nobody's going to do that. Mm -hmm. If that happens, you know, hey, that's wonderful. But that, that's, that's you know, one in a million buy. So yeah. the price is set by these Ticketmaster people in a lot of ways, shapes, and form. And anytime you see pricing that's really jacked up, a lot of times it has to do with them. Yeah. You know, here, here's an example. So he was talking about General Fan. And, and so how about another? This morning, we were trying to pipe Pearl Jam up at Fenway mm -hmm. Park. Sure. It would be a fantastic show to be at, right? So mm -hmm. high in demand, a concert at Fenway Park, big time up in the Boston, New England area, right? Um, so we're trying to buy it literally on the website itself. Before you even attempt to buy it, it says very limited tickets will be available for the public on sale. Um, I posted this on our Facebook page earlier. How fair is that to the general public that paid for Fenway Park and all kinds of roads and whatever around it, right? I just don't think it's right. All these pre-sales I was talking about when I was talking about acquiring tickets and how do we acquire tickets, it's through a bunch of pre-sales and stuff like that. The general fan probably doesn't either A, have access to those general pre-sales, or B, even know the codes to them. Mm -hmm. We're getting three shots for every shot that you guys are getting. And truthfully, it's not fair. I don't think it's right. And I think the more the general public knows, and the more knowledgeable they become, the more they'll find that the, it's not the brokers that are the issue. Mm -hmm. It's the primary sellers that are the issue. It's the artists. It's the insiders. It's the promoters. But you know what? Just like he said, you know, just like Matt said, they like to point the finger at the brokers. Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you the truth here. Common knowledge says if I've got three shots and you got one shot, who's gonna win? Oh, and by the way, all these artists, 
like for example, Justin Timberlake, when he went on pre-sale, not public sale, pre-sale, Ticketmaster has something called Ticketmaster Plus. It's their resale marketplace. Well, every ticket we buy on pre-sale or any other broker buys on pre-sale is eligible to immediately be reposted on Ticketmaster to be sold at whatever price we want to set for it. And Ticketmaster makes their money back on that again. So mm -hmm. they, they make a bunch of service fees when we buy the ticket. We put it on the secondary market and Ticketmaster Plus posts that ticket. So when you get to the general public on sale and there's next to no tickets left because they've snuck them out a bunch of different ways or they're sitting on tickets for whatever reason they want to sit on them, those are called holdbacks. Well, guess what? The average fan misses out twice and then goes, okay, the only option I have is to buy off Ticketmaster Plus and Ticketmaster makes their money again in service fees. In fact, their service fees for their resale marketplace are way worse than the ones you pay for a general service fee more often than not. And you have artists, by the way, who complain about all this stuff. Taylor Swift was on TM Plus right away. Beyonce, when she went on tour last year, she put her tickets on sale on a really weird day after four days worth of pre-sales. Typically, shows go on sale Thursday or Friday. She went on sale on a Monday, right? After all these pre-sales, and every single one of her tickets was available on TM Plus. You know they're getting kickbacks on this. Mm -hmm. They like to blame the brokers. But meanwhile, they're trying to make as much money as they can on their fans repeatedly. That's the way they set it up. How do you guys set your prices? Do you just plug it into these outlets that you're doing and let them kind of drive wherever the market's going? Or are you guys watching it constantly throughout you know, the cycles um, of the day and, and upping them? So we'll, so we'll place the tickets on our point of sale. Um, Matt here, he'll do the initial pricing from there on out all the way until three days before the event. I control the pricing. I take a look all the time. I'm always watching the, the market, seeing what's going on. Um, some tickets get priced once a week. Some tickets get priced multiple times a day. Um, just kind of depends on what the market's dictating, but that's that's how we do it in short. So, so if I'm, I mean, so talking out of my head, I mean, here, like, if I'm a fan, I should just come back and keep checking the price of ticket. I mean, I, what, is there a better? Is there like, if you're a fan, you should call us and we'll tell you what we right. think. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To be yeah. real honest, and this is one of the things we've tried to do. We talk about actually caring about what people say. We've had people call us before and ask, you know, hey, I want to go see some smaller band that's at the Newport coming up here. Uh, you know, what do you have? Well, the truth is, it's not sold out. And you can get these for face value, and we're not going to nickel and dime you for five dollars a ticket or something stupid. Yeah, yeah, Whatever, yeah. we're going to tell you the truth about where your ticket is because guess what? People are going to trust us more, and they're going to come back to us and say, yeah. "Hey, you told me the truth about that last time. What's the best deal here?" You know, we've had people ask us, you know, "Do you think prices will go down on an event?" We can't guarantee anything because we're, you know, if we had that ability, we'd be rich beyond all belief. But it'd be like Back to the Future too with the scores and everything. But you know, we'll tell you what we think is going to happen for an event. Um, you know. There's a lot of events. We take a look at the market and things like quantity and various different things in terms of pricing. You know, how many seats are out there for something? We can say, that's not going to hold, or I expect that to free fall. You know, Bruce Springsteen, when he came through Columbus a couple years ago, we knew full well. Those $120 tickets, those were $40, $50 a day of the show. And we were telling everybody went, we knew. I went and saw Bruce Springsteen for 25 bucks a day of the show. I knew it was going to drop. Katy Perry was 10 bucks to get in the day of the show here. <laughs> well, everybody yeah. we knew. Don't go by now. Wait. Wait. But, you know? but we've seen a lot of those scenarios where it's gone opposite, where we've yeah. seen like a Blue Jackets game on a Friday night in the spring oh, yeah. where the price doubles the day of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, they go from $30 tickets to $60 tickets for some of the worst seats in the house. There was last year when they had the 17-game winning streak, you know, yeah. Tuesday night games that were, you know, all right, we'll get 20 bucks a ticket for that. We're going for 80 bucks. Right. You know? Yeah. It, you just, you never know. Sometimes That's why it's worth the call. I always yeah. tell people, give us a call. If you, if you don't know, just give us a call. Yeah. We'll let you know. Have I been wrong before? Have I told somebody some advice that was incorrect? Yep. But that's why it's a ticket industry, and that's what makes it a challenge. If it was easy money, everybody would be doing it. Mm -hmm. um, 
our, our friends wouldn't lose a couple hundred bucks or a thousand bucks trying to speculate on some tickets just because it's a big name and they just buy the right the wrong part of the venue the right event but the wrong part of the venue and mm -hmm. they lose a bunch of money and um i i call it inside the office when i talk to these guys i i call it honest ticketing mm -hmm. you know you'll probably hear me once a week if you're inside the office talk about honest ticketing Hey guys, let's make sure we're just giving them the honest advice, straightforward advice. I don't care if we could sell the ticket and they'd be more than happy to give us an extra $15 per ticket. If it's $15 less somewhere else, tell them where to go. Honest ticketing, it's earning the trust because this, this whole industry, because of the attack from the primary sellers, and honest, not everybody in town is as straightforward. Yeah, that's In this industry. So, so we've got a real credibility issue within the ticket, ticket industry. And I just want to be honest, straightforward, and I think, I think our customers appreciate that. And I think that's why you see the growth that you see is because we're just honest and straightforward with you. What does the future look like for you guys? Like, what does the team look like now, and where do you guys want to head? And you plan on exiting at any point, or do you want to ride this out and you know keep going for years and years ahead? Or well, we're growing like crazy. I mean, I think you know, sure, you get into it and you, you say, hey, there's an opportunity to make money here, right? I wasn't leaving my sales position because I thought I was gonna go homeless, right? And I just wanted to do good. Um, you know, but so, so we, we thought there was opportunity, there was money there, but we also saw an issue. Um, I tell the story of the real, the real day I made the decision uh, was, in, was an August afternoon. I went down to Crew Stadium, I had bought season tickets, and I had also gotten some USA Mexico tickets. It was a big ticket. They were selling 200 to $300 a ticket, depending on where your seats were, um, down at Mop Frey Stadium. At the time, it was called Crew Stadium. Um, so I went and picked up the tickets from, uh, from the box office there, and I'm walking back out to my car. And a gentleman walks up to me, and he says, hey, can you tell me if these are real? I had no idea. I wasn't really even a ticket broker at the time. I said, hey, I said, I have no idea. I said, but I bet you those guys over there, and I pointed at the box office. I said, I bet you they'd be able to tell you. To this day, I couldn't even tell you why I stood there. But I stood there, and I waited, and he came back to me. And he almost, this, this grown gentleman, 30-year-old guy, almost had tears in his eyes. And he said they were fake. He told me he bought them from somebody over in New Albany. I didn't ask him where he bought them, how he bought them, how he met the guy. I have no idea. Um, and he says, is there anything you could do for me? Maybe he thought I was a scalper. I have no idea. Um, but I certainly wasn't going to give him my tickets, right? But man, did I feel bad about it. I said, this can't be happening. This can't be happening to my friends. This can't be happening to my family. Honestly, I could have made the same mistake. That could have happened to me. I'm looking at the back of the tickets. There were two things I noticed that were different between the tickets that I got that were real from the venue and his. His were the slightest tint of baby blue on the back. Slightest tint of baby blue. By the way, if you just bought tickets, you would have no idea that the, the back was supposed to be white or grayish. You, you, would never, you would have never known that. And secondly, the map of the stadium was flipped. So the east side of the stadium was actually on the ticket the west side of the stadium. Mm -hmm. You would it, it's stuff that would be impossible for the general fan to know. I could get caught. Anybody could have gotten caught with that, right? At that point, I said, "This this can't this can't happen. There's an opportunity here. I can probably make some money. Let's let's see what we can do here." That that was probably the day in my heart that my decision was made. So we're we're growing now. Um, Matt, Matt does a lot of HR. You can talk about mm -hmm. some of, you know, we've hired a bunch of people lately. Yep. We continue to hire a bunch of people. Yep. I think, um, I think 10 years down the road, we're, we're a hundred person company at minimum, but you can talk yeah. about some of that well, stuff. That's definitely the company growth part. And just to piggyback what he's saying too, about tickets, it's, it's even worse now. Um, we were at, we talked about going up to Las Vegas. I was out there at the same time 
that the, the brokers convention was going on, Bruno Mars was at T-Mobile Arena on the Vegas Strip. And a friend of ours who was in the industry and from Oklahoma and I went down to the, to the stadium just to say, hey, let's, let's see if there's any tickets. Maybe we kind of want to go, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just see what there is. I get down there and there's a line of 30 people who have fake tickets in hand. And I'm looking at them like, ooh, yeah, I can tell that's, this is a, you know, the primary ticketing agent is AXS and it's a Ticketmaster ticket. Or what's even worse now is a lot of hard copy tickets you'll see this at OSU, this is a real danger. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about, Ticketmaster likes to talk about their verified tickets, right? Well, if you get sent a hard copy ticket for a Buckeye game, and whoever buys that ticket originally sells it through TM Plus, those barcodes are no good anymore. So you can have a ticket that's literally issued by Ticketmaster that's no good anymore, and you don't know until you get to the gate, and they go, uh -uh. It'd be impossible to figure it, it out. It, it, be it's impossible. impossible, because it's literally directly from Ticketmaster. And yeah. this is what I saw outside that event. People had tickets that were perfectly printed tickets from AXS that you knew the barcodes were sold somewhere online. And then the tickets were no good, and somebody went to the corner and sold it for 100 bucks. Wow, what a deal, right? Right. Except if it's too... That's the easiest rule. If it's too good to be true, it's not true. It's that simple. You know, uh, I had somebody tell me... Rock on the Range is a big event in town here, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody told me two years ago, they said... Oh yeah, I got this great deal on these field tickets, and I, I sent them the money via Western Union, and they were only 150 bucks for field passes. And I went Western Union. Oh my God, <laughs> those are so not real. <laughs> a, the price is below face on an event that always sells. B, you you sent money to Western Union, you have no recourse. If you're gonna buy tickets off somebody on like that just off the street, don't give them cash. Do PayPal, and do PayPal invoicing because they at least will protect you. Yeah, you know? PayPal protects you, which is yeah. a nice, a nice little <clears throat> yeah. It's a nice for the general part. fan, yeah. And we tell people all the time, first time they buy from us. If you have questions, we'll send you a PayPal invoice. You have a track on your money, mm -hmm. and then you'll trust us, and then won't be an issue from there because you know the tickets we give you will be good. Yep. And that's one of the reasons we're able to grow to the way we are. You know, we've got seven people in office now, some part time, some full time. You know, that number is continuing to grow. We have dozens of people who help us in the purchasing a ticket process at this point, and. I, really, this company for two years was the two of us, and yeah, now it's yeah. growing. And like like you said, I'd love it in five years to be something where we talk about you know twenty million a year in sales and fifty employees. Talk about the things I don't have to do anymore. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we can clean up the industry. I just think it's going to take yep. a long time. And I, I, I say a hundred employees in ten years. That's kind of just spitballing, right? But. Um, you know, I think it's going to take a lot of work, and, and uh, it may be 30 years, but I think we can clean this industry up. I think through honest truth, a little bit of, and I hate to say it, a little bit of regulation from the top on the primary and the secondary side. As a ticket broker, they call us secondary, mm -hmm. secondary ticket sellers. Um, on the primary side and the secondary side a little bit. Um, and I think we can clean things up, and you'll hear less stories of fraud, less stories of, of you know, buying these bad tickets and going to the soccer stadium just to find out whether they were real or not. I have no idea. I have no idea why he would even question they were good or bad, but something happened along the way to get him to go down to the stadium. Um, he probably but yeah, interacted with the guy and didn't There was something. Him. There yeah. was something that happened there, yeah. It's the same thing that you did with the guy down at the, with yeah. the Oklahoma tickets yeah. this year. He's yeah. talking yeah. about cleaning the industry up. It's not just empty words. We went down to the police station because we heard they arrested a guy who was slinging fake tickets, and Scotty met the guy. And looked at him all suspicious, like, and got his information. And then yeah. a day or two later, we got confirmation that the tickets we bought were fake. Mm -hmm. We've been chasing him for a couple of weeks. We heard he was arrested. Scotty went down in the line, identified him in the lineup. This guy is in Columbus, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars of tickets. And that's an estimation. I don't know the exact number. It could have been 150, it could have been $250,000. But either is way too much. Yeah. Yep.
Yeah, and so that's a, it's just too bad. And that happened right here in Columbus with Bob Seeger, with Jason Aldean, with every big event here in Columbus. There is no doubt. The guy sat across the table from me for 20 minutes. I was suspicious from his stories; just didn't make sense. I know too much about the industry. The stuff he was saying just did not make sense. And uh, I grilled him for about 20 minutes. I'm like, I was talking to, about different laws and what could happen if you, you know, if you're selling fake tickets and stuff. And he still handed tickets across the table, which was crazy. And I was glad. I mean, we make money, right? I was glad to give him the money just to take the evidence, because with the hope that one day, what happened. I heard he got caught, and I was able to do my part to take him off well, the street. We tested those tickets at the door too. And here's what the, a lot of these scammers do, by the way. Like if you ever like like get tickets and you're like, oh look, yay, I'm going to see Bruno Mars or whatever. Never show a barcode. For the love, yeah, don't of, take a picture with a barcode. Love of Woody Hayes, never show a barcode. All right, it is because guess what? There's software out there that like that can take a picture of a barcode and turn it into a ticket, right? And honestly, it's, these are legitimate companies. There's a great company here in Columbus called Ticket Fire that we've worked with for years. You have a hard copy ticket for an event that's in two days and you can't ship it. Okay, take my picture of the ticket. Now I have a PDF of the ticket, right? That's great if you're doing it legitimately like we are. Well, if somebody puts a picture of the ticket up on eBay or on Craigslist, all right, some sketchy guy goes, hey, cool, I got a ticket to Oklahoma. Click. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the next thing you know, they have your PDF of your mm -hmm. ticket. And, you're, right. and if they're the first one to the gate, then everybody, they can sell that same ticket 30 times. I think it's a long-term battle. We'll be around for a long time fighting this battle. Yeah, it's not going to be an easy battle to fight. Yeah, definitely. So so uh, let's kind of pivot here, talk about something you guys got coming up here in the next few weeks. March Madness, you guys run a yeah. bracket challenge, and, and it's been growing quite a bit. So uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on. I think you have, what, $50,000 in prizes this year? We got, uh, yeah, a little bit over $20,000 in prizes this Sorry. year. Uh, no, no, no problem. Wait till uh, next year, it'll be 50K. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so we're making some money, but not that much money. But no, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun, honestly. Um, we, we, I'm a big bracket guy. I don't know if y'all remember, the, if you're a sports guy, you may remember the commercial on ESPN where they got the brackets taped all over the wall and in the ceiling and whatever. I think they probably went into my campus apartment and then that was how that commercial got spawned as somebody came in your house last week yeah yeah quite possibly <laughs> um and and i'm the bracket guy i do 60 70 brackets i said how cool would it be to do one in columbus but we're the ones providing the prizes right i mean we're in the right industry we can provide some pretty cool prizing and so um so yeah we do this uh minutemanmadness.com go to minutemanmadness.com and this thing has grown every year, and so the prizing's grown every year. This year we got over 100 prizes. Um, some of the top stuff is, is literally road trips, like dream sporting road trips. Uh, you know, go see a, a whole Major League Baseball series in, at Fenway Park. By the way, Boston, I'm from Western Mass. I, I'll host this trip, and literally everything's paid. Everything from your flight, to your food, to your Uber rides, to the, you, you're outside the stadium and you want to buy a hat, your favorite team, we'll pay for it. Uh, literally everything, everything is paid for. Um, that's just one of them. Uh, another one Matt's going to be hosting mm -hmm. is uh, the trip to Vegas. Yep, yep. Free trip to Vegas. Everything paid for except for your gambling money. And <laughs> we'll see, but maybe we'll give you a stipend. We'll see. You know. And they got the new NHL team out there, so we're going to make sure there's a little bit of a local tie for the game out there too. Um, and by the way, the most important part about this whole thing is it's free to enter. There's yeah. no entry. Yeah. Like free everybody asks how much it costs. Nothing. It's free. You know, and, and we, we're doing this because we want to really get involved with the local customer base. We can meet more people. We can reach out to more people. And like he said, 
it's a guided tour in New England. He's a New England native. I love Las Vegas. I'm a degenerate like that, right? And I'm a hockey guy. So we're trying to take our strengths and put them to these prizes. The fact is, the more people that meet me or Matt or one of our guys at Minuteman Tickets personally is another person that's not going to get frauded, yep. just like the stories we were just talking about. Yep. This is a way for us to public outreach. Sure, they'll buy tickets and we'll make money and the company will continue to grow. But let's not keep our minds off the end goal, which is eliminating fraud from the industry. Cleaning up the industry, my friends and family will not be like that guy I met outside of Crew Stadium. And by the way, another thing with us is that we make sure that everything we send to people is correct, right? But let's say something does go wrong somehow. Let's say you're the one in a million person that something go wrong. Guess what? You can call us and we'll fix it right away. And the story I always tell is that, like, if you buy a StubHub, we're sorry. We'll give you your money back. Your night's been ruined. The story I always tell is we have a guy up in Cleveland who, when they made the World Series two years ago, he called me up and said, hey, I need a ton of tickets. And so at that point, I'm reaching out to some of the other brokers I know, sourcing them from people we trust, right? Well, all these people he buys tickets, he bought $20,000 worth of tickets to this game. And he gives me a call, like, 10 minutes before the game, says, hey, these two people are having trouble at the gate. I'm like, what? One second. I literally went and bought better seats, sent them to him immediately, and got them in before I even worried why those tickets we got from another broker weren't working. And then we raised holy hell about it and got that fixed. But the more important thing for us was is we promised these people they'd get in, and somehow something went wrong, even if it wasn't our fault. And we got them in the door. They had a great time. They were sending me pictures from the game the whole time. Mm -hmm. And we built customers for life because they know we're going to take care of them. And, I didn't, and that, that could have been something where if we couldn't get those tickets refunded that we bought that were no good at the start, that could have cost us thousands of dollars. Those were expensive tickets. We didn't blink at doing it because it was the right thing to do. So, so the more people we can reach with this MinutemanMadness.com March Madness Bracket Competition, the more people we can meet personally, the less stories just the one he was just talking about happen. And so it's just, a, it's just a way, it's a brand recognition for us, you know, for those that are more business-minded. It's brand recognition. It's a way for us to shake hands with customers. Definitely. And I think, guys, I think that's a good place to pivot. And, again, Congress, if you guys want to launch on that, uh, Minuteman Madness, March Madness bracket, it's MinutemanMadness.com. It'll be linked in the show notes. But uh, we're going to pivot here kind of towards one of our final questions, and it focuses around the theme of our show, which is Live Uncomfortably. And uh, without telling you too much about why we made that our theme, what do you guys think of when you hear the phrase and, and how does it apply to your lives? I, you know, I think a lot of people have ideas, right? They have great ideas. We've seen it. I don't know. If, you know, I'm sure some of the listeners have seen Shark Tank on ABC, right? Like, man, I thought about that five years ago. I thought that'd be such a great idea, right? Mm -hmm. But why didn't you do it? Because it's probably a bit uncomfortable, right? And maybe it's not just getting out of you know, your comfort zone, but I mean, it, there's a risk. There was a risk leaving the sales world and doing this and literally kind of draining all of my savings. I said I could live for about six months on, on what I had. I was able to kind of really squeeze that out and I lived pretty basically for about a year. Um, so I think, you know, for me, when you say live uncomfortably, it was that initial decision to leave the full-time world, leave, you know, what's it? Go to college, get a good job, you know, re retire when you're 70 or maybe 60 if you're lucky, right? Like, it was to break that, the thing that you were taught your entire life. And, and to me, that when you say live uncomfortably, it was that move that created the success and, and all the different things we're able to do today to, to kind of help out the community and, and eliminate some of the stuff we were talking about. I'm the same boat. I told you guys earlier, my dad was Mr. Corporate, same company guy for my whole life, right? 
I got an engineering degree because I didn't think of anything better to do and I knew I could do it, right? It wasn't like I was in love with it. You know, I got a licensed engineering job and worked for 10 years in multiple states as a civil engineer. I left that job. I knew exactly what that job was going to do. It's called, you want to talk about living comfortably, you know exactly what your income is going to be, your future is going to look like till you're 65, right? Honestly, it sounded incredibly boring to me. Now, I have my licenses maintained and stuff. If I ever need to help and stuff from my former firm, I had a great company I worked for, but I left that job eight months ago, you know, because you one shot, you know? That's the truth. You, 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 if, whether you believe in anything else beyond this world, you get one shot in this life. And you don't want to look back at it when you're 70 and going, man, I should have done that. Man, I should have tried harder in sports. Man, I should have taken that risk. And instead of um, sitting here, you know, still having to work when I'm 75 because the retirement age at that point in time will be 80 because we all live longer. That's, that's when you said living a comfort, that's the first thing that popped in my head was you can have an easy, comfortable, chosen for you life or you can make your own path. I mean, you were getting paid in that position. Yeah, oh yeah, that's the... You were in a high-paying position yeah, that you had to gig. leave to go full-time in, t it was in tickets? Gig. It was a good gig. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. It was a good gig. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's the truth. Hey, guys, I think that's a great place to wrap up the show. Really appreciate you guys taking the time to sit down with us. Conquerors, thanks a lot for listening. That was Matt and Scott from Minuteman Tickets. And we really appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. If you guys enjoyed that episode, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitchers, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And go ahead and click that subscribe button. It'll make sure you never miss another episode of Conquering Columbus. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to say thanks to all of our incredible sponsors one more time. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital. Through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy to use and tailored fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.